welcome to our podcast series, Tomorrow's World and Middle East View. In this series, we interview experts across the Middle East to gain their views and experiences on how to grow, protect, and ultimately thrive in today's evolving business environment. Today, I'm joined by Aditya Sana, Managing Director of United World Infrastructure. United World Infrastructure is a global leader in developing, investing, and managing new urban developments including smart cities and economic clusters. Thanks for the very kind introduction, Zubair. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks, Aditya. Let's dive right in. First of all, I'd like to congratulate you on partnering with UN Habitat to develop affordable housing projects around the world. Aditya, this year, markets have experienced a number of disruptors which have caused business leaders to reevaluate and pivot their strategies. Looking ahead, What are the focus areas at UWI and what are the risks and opportunities that you believe are vital to achieving success? The simple answer is survival. Obviously, we are doing our best that we remain in business. Infrastructure, I think, is probably more severely hit than some of the other industry sectors. So, yes, you know, the normal rules of cash management. And we see that the single biggest risk today is that, you know, the medical uncertainty, we don't know whether there is a treatment available, a cure available or a vaccine. And then the economic uncertainty that follows, so that's like a multiplier effect. Right. But what we also know is that we need to be ready for the growth whenever it comes back, whether it's V-shaped, U-shaped, you know, L-shaped. Yeah. We want to be ready for, by having the right people. Mm-hmm. by having the right technology in place and by having obviously capital at hand. Yeah. Deploy. You know, Aditya, I was reading that the uh, global smart cities market is currently valued at about 84 billion US dollars and it's expected to record a year-on-year growth of about 25% over the next seven years. Based on your experience, which jurisdictions do you see as front runners in adopting urbanisation and what are some of the key drivers yeah, so, you know, there are some paradoxes, you know, here in, in the development and the rollout of smart cities in that the countries and the jurisdictions that need it the most probably have the weakest regulations and probably the weaker financial capital markets to develop these, you know, smart cities. So, while we spend most of our time in the developing world and, you know, we, that's the lens we generally look at the world from. Mm-hmm. So our first, I think, challenge is regulations. And we wish more standardization of regulations across markets on you know, land, land development, land zoning, planning, and all that. And the second thing is also partly regulation, but also to do with you know, financing and the depth of capital markets. Because infrastructure, generally the investment sizes you know, tend to be large. Yeah. You know, and these are not entirely driven by just, you know, a single bank or a single investor. So that's what we would say are the challenges. But uh, going forward, I think there is right now in smart cities a preponderance of dependence on, you know, the IT and the data piece. Right. But our view is that, you know, smart cities at the very inception on master planning, land development, you know, the infrastructure engineering, the infrastructure design, those are also very valid components of smart city. And, you know, we shouldn't just lose the definition of smart cities to like IT, for example. Do you, do you, sorry, uh, do, you, do you think there's a misunderstanding of what a smart city is? There's not a single common definition across the world. 
Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I think, you know, there is no societal definition, you know, whether it is, you know, from a government authority or a multilateral agency, let's say like the World Bank, you know. So definitions have been driven by the people who are developing these smart cities. So GE's definition is different from Microsoft, is different from a Parsons, you know. So everybody is sort of bringing their own tools to the definition. For us, it remains, you know, very basic that, you know, you have to start from the time that you acquire the land. And that's the point your smart city starts developing. Moving our focus more regionally, Aditya, what are some of the infrastructure and development barriers for future smart cities? So again, it comes back to the same two hurdles, you know, financing and regulations. As an example, you know, what we would like to see is that far more private sector involvement along with the governments to develop these, you know, smart cities. So, of course, we call it PPP, you know, which is this private-public partnership. But it's very, very difficult to actually execute and transact some of these, you know, notions on the ground. So, I think a lot of time and effort has still to be spent on seeing how how do we all, you know, uh, work together. And secondly, again, back to all the regulations that regulate land and land development and zoning and planning. There's a lot of scope over there for improvement. Yeah. And how do you think COVID-19 will shape the infrastructure design and planning of uh, future smart cities? I know know you had some strong views about this before COVID-19. We we, we spoke about this at length. And I'm I'm just curious as to um, whether your thinking has changed. Well, so, you know, I mean, our resistance to making any sweeping prediction is the fact that, you know, we didn't predict COVID comes. <laughs> so we are slightly wary of, you know, listening to people who are now telling us what the future will look like. You know, having said that, I think, you know, we do accept that, you know, people can have a fairly good view of the future now that they see what is available in the present. And I think from all the variety of scenarios that we have studied and analyzed and come up with, we, I think, have landed on the fact that proper shelter, you know, and when first, obviously, shelter is, you know, the human habitat, you know, the home, but also that all buildings, for whatever their purpose might be, should be built for purpose, you know. And it happens a lot, I think, in the developed markets, you know, building that was built as a hotel will remain a hotel. But in many other markets that we operate in, you know, you can have a building that was supposed to be an office tower and then it becomes an apartment block. Right. You know, that's not the optimal ideal situation, especially from a public health perspective. You know, the water consumption, the sewage, you know, density, all of those factors have to be taken into account before you simply switch, you know, building usage. So for us over there, the current opportunity that we see is there are a hundred million households that would be considered substandard from a human inhabitation perspective. And I think if we can start chipping away at that hundred million for now, uh, you know, that would be a step in the right direction. In terms of designing a, a smart city in a future city, again, post pandemic world, How's that design going to change? Because I know that we've spoken about the 20-minute rule. How does that all work in your mind? So, you know, one of our hypotheses has been that, you know, the 
commute times you right. know and the length of the commute and the distance that people have to kind of cover to go to work or school or hospital might have also led in one you know sort of indirect ways to human habitat you know having to clash with animal habitat and then leading to this cross you know pollination of disease mm-hmm. so we think that this concept of the 20 minute neighborhood that anything in your day to day activity should be within a 20 minute commute ideally a public transportation commute from wherever you live you know so the affordable housing definition as per the un for example still gives you that you can build a home within 60 minutes of your place of work but we want to challenge that and we want to reduce it to like 20 minutes similarly for access to hospitals access to schools to basic shopping you know you may still have to go to a big box store twice a year and that's fine but that's the our concept of the 20 minute neighborhood as populations witness rapid rates of growth in this year in your opinion how do governments cope with the funding requirements of developing a future smart city so you know i think we kind of i might have belabored this point in some of the earlier questions mm-hmm. that the scale of funding required just basically necessitates the use of private sector expertise and private capital and to access private capital we need markets that are deep and transparent now that doesn't happen in a lot of the jurisdictions and countries which actually require the smart cities the most so and i think this is also a big opportunity for you know legal you know entities like robert smith to assist governments especially to draft and you know create the new regulations required both from the land perspective and then from the financing perspective because a lot of it the knowledge exists in the developing markets so it's just a matter of being you know copy paste you know and applying them in the more developed in the developing Did you since I've got you here I'm going to put you on the spot were there lessons that you and UWI learned when you created Iskander in Malaysia which I believe is the largest smart city created in Asia in the last 25 years that would be helpful learnings in a post covid-19 world so i think in you know one phrase that comes to mind is you know do not overdevelop and i think you know overdeveloping you know happens for economic reasons developers want to you know maximize their return and we you know almost as a foundation strategy refuse to overdevelop you know so we would create what is called optimal development and we don't want to use up all the land just to build you know gfa or built up area or units but we want to provide enough for infrastructure and common areas and stuff like that so that would be our you know hypothesis going forward that you know we have an advantage because we've lived with that tenant even pre covid and i still want to circle back to your previous question where sure. i think i missed the part that you know of helping governments so we are actually working with the united nations and we have created this cities investment platform okay which is a global platform where we are bringing together governments and the private sector across the world and the private sector includes financial institutions master planners architects you know transportation companies all of those entities under the umbrella of the united nations to figure out 
what is the best way to start developing you know cities and have the financing piece and the regulatory piece in place this has been an extremely insightful and informative episode and i look forward to us continuing this discussion probably in the next couple of months i'd like to thank you for being so candid and being really transparent and and thanks very much for uh, for joining us thank you zubair it's been my pleasure